Hey, Jews and other fine human beings, this is Unorthodox, a weekly podcast from Tablet Magazine. I'm Mark Oppenheimer, joined as ever by Liel Leibowitz. Shalom, shalom, shalom. Three, it's a three shalom morning for Liel. And Stephanie Butnick. Hey. And it's a one hey morning. Yeah. Our Jewish guest this week is the seraphically named Amanda Chicago Lewis, who covers the pot industry for BuzzFeed. I think she's the first ever national pot reporter for BuzzFeed. Um, first and, you know, she's not going anywhere. She's she's the woman at BuzzFeed if you want to know about the weed industry. and She's amazing. I mean, she's following in the footsteps of, you know, Edward <laughs> R. Morrow, who started out as NBC Radio's national pot correspondent and then covered World War II and then, you know. So, you know, when I mentioned this last night to, to Sid, my wife, I she said, pot industry? They have a reporter for that? And I said, she, she thought this was the most ridiculous thing ever. And I said, it's a huge industry. It would be like not having a mutual funds reporter or a finance reporter. I mean, there are states that are legalizing this. There are businesses getting off the ground. There's It's a it's a regulatory wild west. It's still technically illegal at the federal level. There's a million good stories there. But can you I'm, imagine I'm that this shit had been around in the days of like when Walter Cronkite was starting out? <laughs> I am standing here in Denver where 30 people are getting stoned <laughs> off edibles. It's, it's been amazing. An edible is... It is funny looking at at Amanda's, um, you know, at her portfolio, at her clips, because the the level of detail, the granular detail of, you know, this hash oil is causing waves in uh, Eugene, Oregon, and you know, it's 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 a sports and by which fans you mean level. it's causing waves in the mind of a man named Eugene <laughs> from Oregon. <laughs> but also, I mean, like on the on all sorts of like socioeconomic racial levels, like this has a lot of implications. I think her reporting's great. Yeah, I mean, she has an amazing story about how African Americans who have smoked a lot of weed are actually getting shut out of the pot industry because they are more likely to have records. If you have a criminal record, you can't open up a pot dispensary, which means the people who have been arrested for having lots of experience in the industry can't get into the industry right, but now that's that it's exactly legal. The, I mean, that's the American. That's basically the story of rock and roll, right? It's like, thank you, Chuck Berry. We'll take it from here. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So uh, are, I think we should we should tell our listeners about our our adventures yesterday. Well, we should say that today is Wednesday and not right, normally Tuesday. We, normally we tape on Tuesday. You'll be hearing this are... on Thursday, as always. <laughs> yeah, as what always. is time, though? So what uh, happened yesterday, Leo? So yesterday, uh, we we recorded uh, the finest episode of Unorthodox You'll Never Hear. Um, our guest, our uh, guest Jew of the Week was President Barack Obama. Uh, our goy guest uh, was Pope Francis. <laughs> I, th- I thought Pope Francis's Holocaust joke was pretty funny, didn't you? He was funny. He was no joke. The Pope told this great Holocaust know. joke. I so like here's, Vatican here's what joke. happened. Uh, it, it didn't. It, it, the, the whole thing didn't record uh, because of reasons we will not bore you with. Uh, but the Pope told this great Holocaust joke. I, I'll repeat it because <laughs> it was really, really funny. Um, how did the Catholic Church save six million Jews from the Holocaust? How did it? It didn't. <laughs> <laughs> It was weird. And then he dropped uh, the mic out. And then he was like, Pope out. <laughs> Pope. But look, we're back in New York City after after last week's show at the American Hebrew Academy in Greensboro, North Carolina. And I just want to say, because I don't think I made this point strongly enough at the American Hebrew Academy, that the American Hebrew Academy is a pretty remarkable place. It's this high school for about 200 Jews, totally pluralist. There were kids there who were obviously Orthodox. There were kids there who were in the middle, kids non-observant. It's like, a, it's a big, beautiful prep school. There's, there was a climbing wall, okay? That's all I have to say. There were not climbing walls in high school. When I, I would also say, Mark, that if I had to describe you in three words, it would be American, Hebrew, and academy. And academy. <laughs> 
It's basically you it's, in a place. It's me in a place. Yeah, it's great. Um, it's basically summer camp. All but, year round. But all year round. It's songs Wet, with, and hot guitars. American Hebrew Academy summer. <laughs> but if I was really, I thought, I thought of my daughter Ellie, who basically can be um, tricked into enjoying school if she's persuaded that it's summer camp. And I thought, um, since she's also the child, I'm most likely to send to boarding school someday. Uh, <laughs> there is potential here. I think um, the weather helps, though, because it literally can be summer all year round. D- exactly. So then I got back and uh, caught up on my sleep. And I went to see Neighbors 2, which um, is a superb movie. And by the way, it's a very important movie for the Jews because Zac Efron and Seth Rogen are doing two very different things with their Judaism. Uh, They are representing interesting poles of what it is to be a Hebrew in America. Zac Efron's representing the, you know, post-boy band sporting the six-pack hottie pole and Seth Rogen, the north of the border Canadian schlubby pole. And it's just, it was comic majesty. So really a big push forward for Jews in Hollywood. (laughs) This is a, a marginalized group, really kind of moving into its own now. And for, you know, cinema itself, it sounds like. <laughs> and for cinema itself. Is either of you going to see it? Be I, honest. I, I, I'm Neighbors going to. Neighbors 2 is to Neighbors 1 what Godfather 2 is to Godfather 1. It's a really... <laughs> I have to say, I love Neighbors. Neighbors 1, um, back when it was just Neighbors. Um, I thought it was so funny. And I think this one's good because I love the idea of it being a sorority and those girls just being cray. You connect on, on many levels. You were in a sorority, right, Stephanie? Yes, I was. Which one? Kappa Kappa Gamma. Kappa Kappa Gamma. <laughs> you know, th- we don't talk about your sorority enough, Stephanie. If you're, let's say you're you're a young woman, an empowered female, fresh fresh person at Duke University, yes, and you you realize that you you are called to Greek life. How do you choose Kappa Kappa Gamma? What about that sisterhood calls out to you? It was like real southern. I like that. Um, like you were going to go all in. Well, by the time I got, so I was actually president. My um, junior to senior year like that that mid mid semester half semester of each and i got our jewish count into the double digits and i was very proud of that don't tell nationals can i just say i love that they call it greek life because at this moment in history it's like hey you know here's what you do here in this house uh you don't work at all you get drunk all the time and you blame other people for your misfortunes it's like yeah it's actually a lot like the actual country of greece damn tridelts yeah I actually did go to Kappa Convention, and I was sitting there with our advisor. Capcon? <laughs> yes. Um, <laughs> and there were flirtilies everywhere. And we do this, like, prayer before every meal. And our advisor, who was this wonderful woman who um, lived in Durham, looked over to me, and she goes, don't we have Jewish girls in our chapter? Like, What's a prayer like? It's like our. Fa- <laughs> it's like some weird thing that you say. Before. Dear, I don't know, dear Lord. Lord and dear Savior Lord. of flirtilies and golden keys. I don't know. But she looked at me. She's like, don't we have Jewish girls? In she's like, this is like a little weird. Don't we have Jewish girls in our chapter? And I was like, you're looking at one of them. This is like, I'm sorry. This is like Steve Martin and the jerk. It's like, you, sir, are talking to a black man. <laughs> Liel, yes, this is sir. obviously, as my brother in 90210 fandom, you know where I'm going with this. This is like the great episode where Andrea Zuckerman comes out as a Jew at her sorority at the fictional California University. You remember? And to those of our listeners born after 1983 or before 1968, go catch up on your Beverly Hills 90s from the early 90s. 
Can I tell you, Mike, this episode really resonated with me uh, because a very similar thing happened to me in my fraternity at Tel Aviv University. Are there fraternities? At some point, I was like, you know, I'm going to come out as Jewish. (laughs) I'm just going to do it. It's like, hey, guys, I'm which, by the way, you know, coming out as a Jew in Tel Aviv University is actually (laughs) kind. It's a big deal. Like, really, you believe any of this shit? It's kind of like, I think, being a Jew in Duke. It's like, no, you're weird. And I'm No, it was totally fine. There were were actually a lot of Jews there. I was going to say, Liel, I bet that one thing that's different about college at Israel is, you know, in America, we go to college and we we don't think about current events for four years. I mean, we just we just opt out of adulthood. I bet that doesn't ro- roll like that in Israel because you, you could get <laughs> no. called up to go shoot people. Well, stuff, yeah, right? and it always happens the week of finals, always, <laughs> no matter what. Reserve duty is the week of finals in perpetuity. So what happens? You, Can you call an army? No. Can you get an excuse? Can you get a tardy for yeah. your final I mean, paper? You, you say like, uh, I, have, I have to go be a hero now. <laughs> <laughs> Which is, you know, the code for, you know, got to do this. And, and then they, uh, they let you out. A little news of the Jews. We bid farewell to 60 Minutes correspondent Morley Safer, who was, for so many of us, the Jewish 60 Minutes correspondent. Not that Mike Wallace wasn't a Jew. It's just that Mike Wallace was a little less Jewish and he named his son Christopher. And Morley Safer was, he was the so fair. He was like the Jewy correspondent. Yeah, I he think. would never and, have named anyone Christopher. Yeah, he would never name anyone Christopher. We miss him. Violinist Itzhak Perlman, whom I call Yitz, canceled an appearance in North Carolina over its bathroom law. An ugly anti-Semitic incident at the University of California at Irvine. Why do I feel like I've said that before? It's, it's like time for the weekly anti-Semitic incident at UC Irvine. Sophomore Eliana Copley was attempting to enter a showing of the Israeli documentary Beneath the Helmet. Great movie. Uh, a crowd of protesters physically obstructed her as she tried to get into the showing, chased her into an adjacent building. The angry mob pounded on the windows and yelled, long live the intifada and fuck Israel. Copley called the police to escort her out safely. I have to say, why are we like bringing the Intifada back? I feel like there's like much more recent stuff they could draw on. It's like I a mean, real, for the same like reason a that there's a Clinton running for president, you know, and there's an OJ Simpson television show. Two. Basically, two. This is basically 1992 all over again. Uh, Liel, you um, were so moved uh, to read of Eliana Copley's. Um, this inspired uh, me. Uh, this, this unleashed my inner Neil Young, and it really, really kind of uh, inspired me to show off, uh, you know, three out of the two guitar chords that I know. So you sat down at your home recording studio on the Upper West Side? On, on my recording wing of my <laughs> Upper West Side mansion. Um, <laughs> it's like Paisley Park, uh, only for Jews. Uh, and I then recorded my uh, magnum opus. I'm so sorry, Nelian. Spanish Armada Let the chips fall Like Eric Estrada Long live The Antifada It may shoot your dad Or it may stab your mother It don't matter If it's Hamas or Fada If you are a Jew You're persona non grata In the Damn. Damn. Did not know. <laughs> you, you're in the wrong business, Leibowitz. That was insane. That's one word. That was word. really good. And did you know who Eric Estrada was, Stephanie? Yes, of course. I watched The Surreal Life on VH1. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not an animal. 
<laughs> Wait, who was on the surreal? Was he with it Flavor was like, Flav? Yeah, it was it was Flavor Flav and like Vanilla Ice and like all those like really really early reality stars? Question mark. Question mark. Uh, inverted commas. But it was what an I remember. Show. What I remember about Eric Estrada, who of course is known to those of us in an older demographic as Ponch from Chips. Uh, is that he apparently, according to some People magazine article, or maybe it was an urban legend uh, in the 80s when urban legends were were all the rage, he apparently um, had his son's umbilical cord uh, encased in bronze and wore it as a necklace, as like a rope around his chain. That's a dad. That yeah. is a that is a California Highway Patrol. My dad loved that show. Did he really? Oh, fuck yeah. Motorcycles and, dad- and dudes. And we should add, by the way, that your dad, although he didn't pull a move quite that macho, he did tattoo your kids' names on his biceps. That's correct. At which point I was really tempted to change my kids' names. I'd be like, oh, no, they're Reginald and uh, Elizabeth. I don't understand why those things on your shoulders. Ah, uh, yeah, there's funny. Good I time. love the hostility there. Last week, Hebrew University professor David Shulman, who studies Sanskrit, accepted the $20,000 Israel Prize and donated the money to an Israeli NGO that works with Palestinians in the West Bank. Inspired by his act of selflessness, British historian Catherine Hall has declined the $1 million Dan David Prize given by Israel, citing conflict with the Palestinians. I just want to say the whole denying money thing, this goes back to something that happened to me in my childhood. This touches me very personally. Like My a parents, lot of money at the age of seven, you were, you. You, you were awarded the Dan David Prize and refused it in, I, in exchange for the Israel Prize. You 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 laugh, Leibowitz and Butnick, but it's it's not so far off from we're that. actually at the a age great law se- firm. At the age of <laughs> yeah, seventeen, Leibowitz and Butnick, Leibowitz personal and Butnick, right. injury law. I was going to say, like, what bicycle accident do I have to suffer to hire you guys? At the age of seventeen, as I was thinking, how am I going to pay for this expensive education? I've won acceptance to. I got a flyer in the mail for the American Legion Oratory Prize. Now, as you may know, I was a high school orator of some uh, national Of some note. Of some note, of some national distinction. And I said to my parents, mom, pup, uh, if I'm to enter this prize, I could win, I think it was twenty-five dollars or $50,000. It was some really substantial amount. And they said, you can't do it. And I said, what? Why not? I said, I, I think I could win this thing. You know, you had to win county and then states and then regionals. I said, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. And they said, because the American Legion is a right-wing organization that collaborated with McCarthy to oppress leftists in the 50s and, and has been in favor of every war ever. And you can't take their money. It's blood money. And I just remember thinking, well, then I should, I mean, if they're so awful, I should take their money. I would do better things with their money exactly. than they would. I've never understood the turning down money from bad people. So I just want to say, if anyone wants to give me an award uh, to whitewash, whatever your activities are, to say, look, Oppenheimer took our money. We can't be all bad. I'm I'm here. I just respect anyone who's turning down like a million dollar prize. That's just like a little too much to turn down on principle. British oh, historian Catherine Hall really could have done something Another with million, million whatever. <laughs> I've got tenure. <laughs> Exactly. Why does she need the money? And on Sunday, Israel returned two sarcophagus covers that had been smuggled into the country from Egypt. The move has been hailed as a sign of increasing closeness between the two countries. Each plaster-covered lid is in two pieces, one dating from 1600 to 1300 BC, the other a few hundred years younger than that. I mean, is the, this is how they make peace in the Middle East, is they exchange looted antiquities? It's just basically. like going really, really, really old school, being like, hey, you know what? We've had this for a while. It's like, okay, we're going to take it back. We're going to settle all our differences. Let's start at the very beginning. <laughs> <laughs> <Here's>, <laughs> let's resolve the fight of 987 BC. Here you go. 
I can't let news of the Jews end without noting that there is a new Instagram account with a not insignificant number of followers called Hot Dudes and Hummus, which shows hot guys eating hummus. Wasn't there an Adam Sandler movie? Don't was, mess with the I'm, Sohan. I'm on three of the uh, 12 pages. Doesn't he use like hummus <laughs> to do his hair or something? He used, they put out fires with hummus in that movie. They have like <laughs> don't, don't trucks that come that by. That movie's like pretty good. It the is pretty is good. a genius movie. It's like the most pro-Israel thing Hollywood has turned out in this like is the most a while. accurate thing like that beach scene in tel aviv that's pretty much it but you like everything adam sandler did leal you know the, the speaking of, of prizes you know how, the, how there is the, the jewish nobel uh another million dollar prize i think sandler should get it speaking of the jewish nobel there, that's in the news this week because 52 year old russian jewish billionaire mikhail friedman said he'd leave his entire fortune to charity none to his four children he's and he worth sponsors 14. the prize Right. He's worth $14.2 billion. He said, my like kids will be better off if, if they have to earn. And the <laughs> like professor Stephanie. from the UK. That, that's right. No, she could have been, but she's turning it down to live in penury in Manchester or something. Um, he's worth $14.2 billion. He said his kids will be better off if they have to earn their own money. Now, what does he do with his money? All I am going to leave them is the estate <laughs> in Chelsea, the three planes, the palace in Petersburg, the two apartments in Paris, the football team. <laughs> And not a penny more. That was, I think, your best. Your These best work yet. have to work for the living. I like the idea of like a mega, mega billionaire being like, kids, you'll be better off without all of this. I think Buffett did this, but he he then conceded that his kids, you know, they had little, little mini trust funds set up already. It's like, like he, they've, you they've know. grown accustomed to a certain style of living. You know what exactly. I love? I love the idea of the Jewish Nobel. You know how we're obsessed with you wait, know, wait, the, the so other Jewish Nobel? Back up. So to be clear, what Friedman does with his money is, among other things, he created the annual Genesis Prize, which uh, is informally referred to, at least by his PR people, as the Jewish Nobel Prize. As compared to the other non-Jewish <laughs> Nobel Prize that Jews don't ever win. <laughs> exactly. And its recipients have been, so far, there have been three. Michael Bloomberg, Michael Douglas, and Itzhak Perlman. Three men who do not need a million dollars. So the point of the prize is basically to – it's like an investment in their – in, in a charity of their choosing, basically. Michael Bloomberg and Michael Buble. <laughs> <laughs> now, he would do a lot of good things. Um, and Michael Bolton. So basically, like the idea is that you're you're investing in a, in, a, in, a, in a prominent <laughs> Jew's like vision of, of what should be funded, basically. It doesn't really make sense. It's not like they're giving like an up-and-coming – Refuse Nick artist. I guess that's like we're really in the nineties. It's 90s. not like they're getting it. It's not like they're giving it to Alden Ehrenreich to go live on while he makes sci-fi movies. Yeah, like it's it's like uh, Michael Doug. It's a cause. It's, it's to support a cause that the, the person believes in. So Michael Douglas invested heavily in like Jewish awareness for like interfaith couples. Is um, he even for, still with Catherine Zeta Jones? Yes, who marry hot to, non-Jewish actresses. To, that's a whole Israel. charity there. He went to Israel a few years ago for his son um, Dylan's bar mitzvah, and then he like he told the Post that he had a horror-related injury at his, I guess his other bar mitzvah in L.A. There was like he, there was like a groin muscle pulled or something. And you're like, you can't stars, have just one bar mitzvah. They're just like us. Uh, they just overexert like during the horror-related uh, injuries that people have. If I may, we're really going off course here. This we're morning. so missing the point. The point is that there is, we now have. 
a Jewish Nobel. So y- you know how the other Nobel, the other Jewish Nobel uh, <laughs> fucks with us? Y- you know those emails we all get like, did you know that of the 37 Nobel winners in chemistry over the last 42 years, 16 were Jewish? Like that and we're thing only that, 2% of the population. And, 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 and only one was a Muslim. You know that like racist rant that like your old <laughs> crazy uncle sends you? Here's what yep. we have to do with the Jewish Nobel. We have to do the same exact thing to another religious minority. We have to pick a minority to fuck with, like say the Baptists, and then start giving the Genesis Prize, $1 million, Jewish Nobel, to only Baptists. And like 15 <laughs> years from now, Baptists will be sending emails like, did you know that out of the 42 Genesis Prize winners, 60 are Baptists? It will mess with our heads. It will be amazing. None of them were Methodists. Exactly. None of them were none and, were Lutherans. And do you know how many were Episcopalians? Zero. The crazy thing is that there are two sets of people who love the statistics about how many Jews have won Nobel Prize. Like Jewish aunts and uncles, like great aunts and uncles who send around chain letters, and anti-Semites. That's exactly right. Like those, they could basically be sending the same it's email. It's Uncle Morty and Stormfront.org. It's like, the funny thing is that they have exactly the same theory too, which is Jewish superiority, right? Like great Uncle Morty sends it around to prove right. how absolutely brilliant we are. We're the best physicists. We're the best chemists. We're the best. And then, you know, Stormtrooper front Hans von Stormtrooper sends it around to show how brilliant we are at our shrewd manipulation of the, the, yeah. I have the a, Nobel but system. But it is weird how much they have in common, those two groups oh, of people. Oh, no, no. They would have Abs- the, the, best, same people. the best Pesach ever if they ever came together. But I, I have a proposal. I, I think this should be passed into law. Every time you get this chain mail, every time you try to say like, oh, look at that Jews in a Nobel Prize, here's what you have to do. You have to name three Jewish Nobel Prize winners, not in like peace or literature, and explain what the research is actually about. If you could do that with any of the <laughs> chemistry, biology, <laughs> economics, if you say like, oh, of course, are they or not for discovering the sequence of that, like, then I'm very open to hearing from you. I have to say that chain letter just got a lot longer. Yeah. Marowitz, Barowitz, Handelman, Shandelman, Sperber and Gerber and Steiner and Stone, Moskowitz, Lupowitz, Aarons and Barents, Feynman and Feynman and Friedman and Cohn, Smolowitz, Wallowitz, Teitelbaum, Mandelbaum, Levin, Levinsky, Levine and Levi, Brumberger, Schlumberger, Minkus and Thinkus and Stein with an E, I and Stein with a Y. Okay, so we're a couple minutes away from calling Amanda Lewis, our Jew of the Week. Uh, we should tell you we don't have a Gentile of the Week. Uh, we had one, but, you know, technical difficulties, yada, yada. But actually, we, just we d- have d- Don't an say in- technical difficulties. Tell them the truth. We don't know any non-Jews. It's so if hard to find them. If you know any non-Jews, please introduce them to us because we, we really, we couldn't think of any. Do you know a non-Jew who talks a lot and well? That's basically it. Anyway, we had a but we, but our producer, Julie, had a non-Jewish moment that will sub in for the Gentile of the Week. We'll have a Gentile moment of the week. And what was it? Okay, so our producer, Julie, lives in Brooklyn in a big apartment with a lot of different types of people in it. And last night, her daughter, Leah, spotted a big stack of envelopes that were, like, stuffed with, with uh, like, material inside. And so on the front is a picture of the Western Wall with a big menorah in front of it. And it says, a gift prepared especially for you. So seeing familiar symbolism, she, she grabbed it on the back. It says, quote, a message of hope and gladness for Jewish people. And, and being a lovely, precocious kid, she said, hey, we're, we're Jewish people. We're Jewish people. people. What, what can I be need hope and gladness. I like hope and gladness. <laughs> so, so our producer astutely said, is it for Jewish people or from Jewish people? <laughs> and any real, real look at the packaging reveals it's the testimony of Tom Cantor. Who, by the way, is, is identified as the CEO of Scantybodies Laboratory. Scantybodies sounds like the best ever porn production company name So ever. basically what it is is sort of a package... Um, 
intended to provide Jewish recipients with what they need to become, to accept the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To become Jews for Jesus. Jays for J. To become completed Jews, as yes. they say. But you can see how this packaging is incredibly misleading, especially for small children. Can I just say, I, I know we're supposed to have, you know, just love in our hearts and acceptance well, for yeah, all faiths. Well, yeah, these people do. But really, fuck Jews for Jesus. I, I gotta tell you, if you're a Jew and you believe Christ is a Messiah, I'm Totally, a thousand percent down with that. I think it's a beautiful thing. Godspeed. Go to a Literally. church, convert, do whatever you need. Believe in Christ, accept Him into your heart. Uh, you know, good for you. Uh, if, if you're a Jew, you know who you don't believe in. Just kind of by definition, Jesus Christ. Stop it already with the Jews for Jesus. So it is a very like Jewish Talmudic loophole to find, being like we well, are Jewish, but also this. Right, we're Jewish, but we also don't believe in Judaism and want the other guy. So now we have a packet we that also actually like Krishna says <laughs> and Vishnu. We have a packet. A packet in this. It, there's a DVD, um, which looks great. I actually don't know anyone with a DVD player anymore. Yeah. By the way, uh, <laughs> note note to self Jews for Jesus. It's 2016. Okay. If you want to convince anybody, send give us know, a hyperlink, thumb drives, yeah. or a link or something. Let's send DVDs. Right. So it's it's actually really helpful because we have a packet that says frequently asked questions by Jewish people. Page 15. That's on the front cover. <laughs> when do we eat? Um. So these are actually frequently asked questions. I guess from Jewish people about becoming Jews for Jesus. Um, number 11 is what is a Jew? Which like I've always, you know, that's like a big, big question. Yeah, we've oh, that's not a bad question. We've spent some time on that one. What are some of the other questions? Uh, let's see. Um, why didn't the rabbis tell Jewish people the Lord Jesus Christ is the Messiah? Is it worth it for a Jewish person to receive the Lord Jesus Christ? I don't know. <laughs> totally worth it. Totally worth it. I mean, receive so all, if it's, so if it's free. Call, sure. I mean. <laughs> oh, what, about, what about this? What about this? Number 22. If they cut us a deal. Number 22. Where was God during the Nazi disaster? That's a euphemism if I've ever heard one. Yeah, the Nazi, yeah, the Nazi dis- disaster. disaster. <laughs> See, that what disaster happened that- is there was a really big iceberg. A Jew, Jew <laughs> by the way, of course, because it's a berg. Uh, and, uh, you know, God was uh, preoccupied. Leal, I just want to say, I, I, I don't have the hostility toward Jews for Jesus that you do. I think they're... Um, they're a little bit sweet and poignant. I'm just not, you know, frankly, I feel like if a Jew is that poised on the cusp of saying, I want to be a Christian, go. Just go. go. It's fine. Just it's fine. go be a Christian. That's amazing. But I don't, I but if, no problem with that. If they get in through Jews for Jesus or Tom Cantor, Israel Restoration Ministries. No, 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 or, I mean, no because see that, that, who cares? That, 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 Let them offload. I am, I can't stand with you. Yikes. There, my friend. Maybe Yikes, the, guys, found something. Who really killed the Lord Jesus Christ? Ooh, I know that. Ooh. There's four answers to this question and all are true. Um, number two is the Jewish people through their leaders forced the Romans to kill the Lord Jesus Christ. So this is sort of like a weird thing where they differ from most Jews who would not say that Jews killed Jesus. They're so, bringing back the Christ killer. Yeah, they could have recognized and received the Messiah, but their willful pride kept them from receiving the Messiah. That rejection has had a consequential generation impact on the Jewish people even today. See, Stephanie, I'm, I'm, co- I'm, I'm, I'm going to... It causes uh, us to win Nobel Prizes, I'm going to stop you for a second. Mark, if you're wondering why uh, I, I can't stomach this, uh, the Jews and their willful pride? No, go fuck yourself. <laughs> I mean, my problem with this is like, they're leaving these sort of unclearly marked packages in, in buildings. And the idea is to sort of say, oh, I'm Jewish. You know, this is imagery I'm, I recognize and I'm comfortable with. And I feel like there is a way in which they, for a long time, you could actually not realize they're Jews for Jesus if you're Jewish All and right. you don't really know much about your Jewish identity. And you're like, oh, I'm in a new city. I, 
It's always the dislocation of like, I'm 23 and in a new city. Well, I mean, that's I'm, how I'm, sort of any sort of group can draw you in. They sort of plus prey the, on familiarity. Their business plan is like, you know, hey, most secular Jews are completely and utterly ignorant about anything relating to Judaism, except for like, oh, jokes and food and, you know, <laughs> yeah, some they're really Yiddish reducing guy. us. Let's just, you know, put something that has like a kotel and a menorah, which is, you know, like a, a, a Which is ridiculous. Yeah, which is right. ridiculous. But, 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 Leibowitz and Butnick, I do want to say... They, of course, are stepping in where a lot of rabbis refuse to go, right? I mean, almost no Jews do outreach. No, like Jewish groups don't leave stuff in the foyer of Julie's diverse building in Brooklyn at, saying, like, if you want to learn about Judaism, here's some stuff. And so, yeah, like the evangelical Christians are better at this than we are, and the Mormons are better at it than we are. And so, you know, wake up call to us, well, right? Well, first of all, I'd say Chabad is sort of, you know. Well, yeah, Chabad is very good at it. Come from our, like, non-proselytizing. Yeah, par- second of all, you want to learn, go fucking learn. What, do you, you need a package in your lobby? You're that lazy? There, there are books. There's but a there's book. No, Go learn. Yeah, but a lot of people are intimidated by just going to by the library effort, and checking yes. out. A lot of people Torah. are intimidated by so, effort. So you're well, look, then when they become Jews for Jesus, don't you know, don't blame the Jews for Jesus, right? Well, Julie's daughter is like has that DVD in right now. Julie's daughter <laughs> is already half Christian. <laughs> Our guest Jew this morning is Amanda Chicago Lewis, who is BuzzFeed's first ever weed correspondent. Is that a fair description of what you do, Amanda? Are you the weed correspondent? Yeah, I mean, technically I'm a national reporter and I cover drugs, but weed is mostly what I cover. <laughs> like uh, you were hired not to cover crack cocaine or uh, – <laughs> I mean, do you do the opiates also, like OxyContin addiction and so Is that part no, of your – No, it's all Ill- – it's illegal drugs. That was the idea behind the job. Um, and I've done a couple of other pieces that involve other drugs, but for the most part, it's weed. Okay. And Amanda has written amazing pieces about topics like how black people are being shut out of the weed boom, the controversy over the safety of hash oil, the end of Shakedown Street at the Grateful Dead concerts, um, and the origins of the Pamela Anderson, Tommy Lee sex tape, which was which was a big piece. Like you spent a lot of time tracking – it has nothing to do with drugs. That was like you <sighs> – you're an amateur sex tape she reporter. She has spent also. as much time with a Pamela Tommy Lee sex tape as you have, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Dare I say, even a bit less. Um, so, how did you find your way to this? I think a lot of our listeners want to know how do I become a national weed correspondent for BuzzFeed, and what's the journey like? <laughs> I do a lot of journalism and smoke a lot of weed. I think maybe a combination of those two things uh, brought me there. Uh, <laughs> I was in the right place at the right time. I live in Los Angeles, um, and I was writing a column about marijuana for LA Weekly and uh, also doing uh, some bigger things about the war on drugs, and I guess combination of those things put me in the, the right place at the right time. So l- let me ask you a question. I, I like drugs. You know, I've, I've never, you know, made a big secret of it. I feel like the last couple of years... Like, something is happening that is just kind of so reprehensible. As soon as, like, that stuff kind of starts becoming quasi-legal, it all kind of, you know, Starbucksifies. You know, it just, it seems like the whole pot industry now is so, un, in, in a way, like, kind of so uninteresting and, like, appeals and, and directs its efforts to, like, the totally different kind of people than the people who were originally in this culture. Do you feel this way? Um. Perhaps it seems that way on the East Coast because those are the people that are getting a little bit of press. I guess are you thinking more of 
uh, Marley Natural? And are you thinking of some of the more corporate organizations I'm in thinking, look, Colorado? Cute, cute gummy weed gummy bears that you know are super <laughs> potent, and Maureen Dowd is in her hotel room there's in Denver, nothing, and like I that mean, shit. There is there is nothing corporate about weed gummy bears. Weed gummy bears are very gross. They are almost certainly uh, regular candy <laughs> gummy bears purchased at a store unwrapped and then sprayed with butane hash oil and oh you have no idea God. how strong they're going to be there's like something kind of nasty there so weed gummy bears are nasty there is nothing i mean i guess that's sort of corporate if you're thinking of like really cheap gross yeah uh crap like, you might sort of, get at walmart well, like maybe, people but it's going, like made in china but like people going to colorado and be like i'm gonna go like i'm gonna buy edibles like getting really excited about it who wouldn't necessarily be part of that culture i think that Maybe these are people who were smoking pot before or who were doing things before, but the media wasn't necessarily portraying them as drug users. Uh, Yeah, maybe. I mean, for the media to portray you as a drug user, you pretty much have to be black. No, that's part of part of what you're writing about. Yeah, I mean, I like generally think there's a lot, there's a trend where uh, a media organization will do a story like, hey, can you believe it? this person is involved, is involved in the pot industry, or can you believe it, this person smokes pot and isn't afraid to tell us about it. And it's always some kind of older, you know, wealthy white person. Can you believe like, that Caucasian is interested in recreational drugs? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. And who's this white Wall Street guy who's involved in weed? How strange is that? It's like, that's only strange because your assumption of who a drug user is is like a young, you know, black or brown person. Yep. <laughs> is there a weed community now? I mean, is there, are pot smokers, is there like... You know, is there a wink and a nod where it, in the places where it's gotten legal, where it's come above ground a bit more and people can talk more openly about it? Is there a sense of identity the way there is, bear with me here, among cigar smokers, for example, like cigar smokers know other cigar smokers. And if they walk down the street and see another cigar smoker, like, like we get each other, right? I mean, not me, I'm smoking cigars, but, really? but <laughs> shockingly, I'm not a cigar guy. But is there a sense in the States where it's really come out of the closet and above ground that there's a weed community? To a certain extent, um, I mean, like alcohol, it you know affects so many different aspects of the population. It's not you know a single monolith um, of a community. The biggest obstacle toward creating, I think, that type of community is that essentially the bar equivalent of pot is not really legal anywhere. It's going to be legal um, supposedly in Alaska, but um, you can't. There are places in Los Angeles where there are events that happen um, where people smoke weed and those have, you know, a variety of vibes to them and communities that will attend those events. But they're all sort of underground, quasi-legal things. Um, But there's not social clubs where you can go and hang out and um, smoke pot that are officially legal anywhere, not in Colorado, not in Washington, not in Oregon. Um, and that would sort of, I think, hasten more of a community. There used to be one, or there used to be more in Los Angeles, uh, and then a law was passed in 2013 that made them illegal. Uh, so, I mean, I used to go to one all the time, actually, uh, uh, that had a really fun community. It was a really weird, diverse cross-section of all ages and, you know, a variety of races and strange people that would just go and sort of hang out like a coffee shop. But uh, it was weed oriented and, you know, someone would bring you this extremely clean bong and maybe like pack you a bowl and you could hang out and maybe, you know, work on your, 
Uh, you know, I, obviously I'd work on like an article or something like that, but there were also TVs and people would play video games or watch sports. It was a really Amazing. fun place. So I'm, I'm curious, um, from your reporting, how have you found that uh, support for pot legalization and involvement in the community breaks down along both generational and gender lines? Yeah, I mean, I think younger people are obviously much more supportive of uh, marijuana legalization. Um, I think... I mean, this doesn't quite make sense, right, because drug laws always disproportionately affect people of color, but um, people who live in communities of color don't necessarily support drug legalization, um, especially if, uh, you know, you think that you've seen people in your life who have been arrested for this or people who um, maybe have not been as, like, economically productive because they smoke weed, so... Uh, you know, older people of color aren't really down with legalization, but in a very, you know, general sense, that's not obviously every person. Um, but yeah, the biggest divide is along young people versus uh, older people. I got to tell you, I don't think I support legalization, which, you know, I love yeah, you the do. fact. You're just being provocative. No, yeah, I, do. I really don't, Mark. I love the fact that there is shit that's illegal. If you want <laughs> to do this, you will break the fucking law. You know, come on. Have have a courage of your convictions. Have something that feels a little bit illicit. You know, have something. I know that the, 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 the racial policies, everything, that's horrible stuff that we need to fix regardless. But that has nothing to do necessarily. That's just, to me, criminal justice reform. That's not necessarily drug uh, uh, laws. Well, Make it illegal. You, Make kids work for it. About? If, if weed or any drug is illegal in any way, the people who are going to be disproportionately affected and then, you know, maybe have to pay huge fines, maybe have to spend time in jail, maybe have criminal records that ruin their lives. Just make it a misdemeanor, like 20, $25 and like 20 minutes of community service or something like that. But like, well, look, do you see how that also harms people's lives? He does. <laughs> yeah, he does see I it. Do. I'd, All right, I, I you're saying that from a place of extreme privilege. I'm just going to say that. <laughs> I, I check my privilege every morning. Uh, I, I'm uh, delighted to find it's still intact. Hey, Amanda, before we let you go back to sleep, because you, you are on West Coast time, uh, <laughs> we, we can't let our listeners get out of this without some sort of you know recommendations or consumer, some pro tips. Like if they're in a, a pot uh, legal state, if they're in a Colorado or a California, um, what should they be looking for? What should they be buying? What's a good product? They're getting back into usage after all these years. Well, since um, it's federally illegal, it's hard to sort of say a product that is legal in several places. Like, it's very complicated to sort of franchise things um, or ship. You can't ship across state lines. So, like, product consistency within a state is complicated. Here's what I'll say. If you go to California, um, I would buy an edibles brand called Kiva, K-I-V-A, and I would buy... You know, if you haven't had pot in a long time, I would eat between five and 10 milligrams. I think that's actually the key thing. <laughs> Go somewhere where <laughs> you, you know that the, the edible product is probably going to be consistent and don't eat more than five to 10 milligrams if you haven't um, been smoking weed every day. And stay off the gummy years. bears. Don't have gummy bears. I mean, gummies in particular, gummies are difficult to make, and that's why they make them <laughs> in such a gross way. So avoid gummies. <laughs> Um, Amanda Chicago-Lewis, thank you for joining us on Unorthodox. We'll have you back sometime, I hope. Anytime. Good to talk with you guys. Thank Bye-bye. you.
hey, you know what? We're going to get a lot of mail on this. And so let's read some of the mail we've been getting because we love our listeners and we love it when they write to us. We read your letters to our families. We circulate them around the office. We print them out and read them aloud to ourselves when nothing else is going right. We send chain letters about them uh, to our Uncle Morty. Here's a disturbing letter from the mailbox this week. It's not one of our funner letters, but it's it's really substantive. Um, it's from a Belgian listener whose ears perked up when we discussed the controversy over kosher slaughtering in Belgium. And when we call Belgium the child-raping capital of the world. <laughs> I'm still not sure why you did that, but I don't know because that news story. Enjoy yeah, raping I've children. never seen that statistic okay. before, but now I can't get All it out right. of my head. <clears throat> hey, unorthodox, this listener writes, I was waiting for something from Belgium to reach your news of the Jews, since it seems we have so much in the last few months such as a fight breaking out over Israeli flags laid at the Brussels Memorial after the attack at the airport. Jam Jambon, the interior minister, his name is his name is Ham Ham. Jam Jambon, the interior minister comparing terrorists being hidden in Brussels to Jews being hidden during World War II. And just today, I saw that Belgium will not send monetary aid to the children whose parents were killed in the museum attack. So... There's a conservative synagogue in the city where I work that has a museum attached. For security reasons, it's open only twice a year to the public with advanced reservations. I decided to go on a museum tour. It included a hilarious Q&A in which at least three people asked why Jews don't use the New Testament or believe in Jesus. And then there was a small tasting of kosher foods, mostly different types of crackers, including two boxes of matzah. One I recognized as being not kosher for Passover matzah from France, the one they stock in my local supermarket. The other was kosher for Passover matzah imported from Israel. When she gets to the matzah, she explains what it is and says, if you don't want to eat something made in Israel, this matzah is made from France. I later realized the probable reason why they only had crackers at the food tasting is because all the good stuff from the kosher section of the supermarket is made in Israel. I guess they didn't want to offend too many people. I don't know. Like I said, I wished I could have heard a Liel reaction to it. I figured he would have had something witty to say. Best wishes from Belgium, Samantha Rosa. Samantha Rosa, I have two things to say. First, fuck Belgium. Second, Natania is really lovely this time of year. Uh, it welcomes you with open arms. There's a beach and there's as much kosher food as you like. And it's not only twice a year and special occasions. It's open year round. That, that letter makes me sad. Of course it does. It's a tragedy. It is but a really sad you know, letter. That's, uh, the fact oh, that we... oh, another thing, Samantha. I'm sorry, Stephanie. Another thing, Samantha, uh, a, a word of advice. Get a gun. Uh, I'm sorry. This is not a joke. You need one. You live in a hostile country. I bet she can't get one in Belgium. I don't know the Belgian gun control if, laws, if, but I bet if, she like, can't. like, 17-year-old Muslim terrorists can buy one from, like, the Czech Republic and use it to shoot people in an airport or, you know, do whatever or in Jewish Paris museum. or a Jewish museum or whatever, so could Samantha Rosa. Yeah. And speaking of being in touch with us, I did want to say I really hope that all of you devoted listeners are following Tablet on Facebook. Uh, if you just follow the, the main Tablet page, we always put the podcast up. And I'm going to dip into the comments this week and, uh, you know, we'll talk about this episode. We'll talk pot. We'll talk Jews for Jesus. It's a, it's a good week to have a little interactivity. Uh, any Mazel Tovs this week, Stephanie? Oh, I have a Mazel Tov to my very own Ben Cohen, who turns 28 finally on Friday. And he can join me in the land of the people in their late 20s. 28 is a well, very good time to, you know, start planning a family. <laughs> ben Cohen. Guys, take it easy. My mazel tov uh, is uh, to the Palestinian people. You know, listeners, including your own brother, Mark, uh, have often said, you know, that I'm, I was insufficiently kind uh, to our foes. And so I would like to extend my, my uh, heartiest congratulations to the Palestinian people who this week inaugurated what I think uh, is the most accurate 
museum in the world. It's a new museum for Palestinian uh, history, heritage, and achievements, and befittingly, it is completely empty. Wait, wait, did they really? They, you mean they just haven't put stuff in it yet? They spent right. millions and millions and decades and decades to build it. There is nothing to be put in it. I mean, do, is there plans to put something in it? Yeah, a big post that says it's Israel's fault, but that's about it. My Mazel Tov is from Amy Gers, who was in the audience at the American Hebrew Academy. She asked if I would give, if I would hand off my Mazel Tov to her, and I said I'd be so happy to. She wrote to us this Saturday, May twenty first, so that's behind us now. We'll say last Saturday, eighty nine year old Holocaust survivor Hermina Hirsch, who happens to be my cousin's grandmother, will cross off her top bucket list item. She will sing the national anthem at the Detroit Tigers game. Hermina has never missed a major life event of mine. But since I'm here in Greensboro, I will miss her big moment, singing the Star-Spangled Banner at Comerica Park. Wishing Hermina a mazel tov on Unorthodox is the grandest gesture I can possibly make in absence of actually flying to Detroit for the weekend and attending the game. So we, the Unorthodox crew, join Amy in wishing cousin twice removed Hermina Hirsch a mazel tov on singing the national anthem for the Tigers. If you have thoughts, comments, praise, or questions for our panel of experts, send them to unorthodox at tabletmag.com. Be warned, we might read a version on the air. Also, if you have thoughts for who should get the next Jewish Nobel Prize, the Genesis Prize, you know, send them to us. Who should get it? I mean, now that Michael Douglas has gotten it, it who's next, right? Unorthodox is brought to you by Tablet Magazine. It's on the web at tabletmag.com. Edited by Julie Subrin and produced by Sarah Ivory and Alyssa Goldstein. Rabbinic supervision this week is by the newly ordained Amachai Lau Lavi. Yes. Love him. Kosher Slaughtering is by our new friend from New Jersey, Alyssa Reiner, who wrote us a beautiful letter. Our website is tabletmag.com. Follow us on Facebook. Shalom, friends. <laughs>